have preconceived ideas about many things. For example, what picture is hanging in your mind about what it means to be a disciple maker? What is a disciple maker? The idea of a disciple maker is often felt to be beyond the ordinary person's reach. But is it really? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry. In this second of five sessions with Bill Mowry, author of Ways of the Alongsider and Senior Navigator Staff, we learn of different pictures of a disciple maker that may hang in the minds of people. But what is a realistic and biblical picture that we can develop? In your book, you talk about the idea of uh, pictures hanging on the wall of your mind, a picture of perhaps a disciple maker. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've explained well how that can be an everyday experience. Uh, what do you think the pictures of people have hanging in their minds of a disciple maker? Maybe some false ideas of, of what it takes to be a disciple maker, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah. So I, you know, maybe I'll take a step back a little bit that when I, uh, back in there, you know, around 2004 or five or so, I began getting calls from churches about, you know, disciple making. And they say, hey, we've heard about the navigators, heard you guys are into making disciples. Can you help our church? And uh, we want to start making disciples in our church. And as I got involved with churches, I began to realize that there's kind of two pictures that hung in people's minds. Uh, one was that there was a feeling like disciple making is what we pay the pastor to do. This is something that ministry professionals do. And uh, or another picture was is that um, Disciple-making means that I have to have a teaching ministry. You know, that I stand out front and I teach a class. It's another picture of a disciple. Or another picture is that disciple-making is so complex that I can't do it. And the corollary is that's why I leave it to the professionals. But sometimes in our books and uh, in our training, we can make it kind of complicated. I mean, one popular disciple-making book has 32 topics that I need to disciple somebody in. And they outline the topics at the end of the book. And I thought, you know, I can't even disciple myself in 32 <laughs> topics. How am I to do that with somebody else? Right. So my goal was how do you, as I call it, deprofessionalize the Great Commission and then make it simple enough that anybody who is walking with Christ and has a heart to help people, that they could get involved in that. They could have that privilege of investing in another life. Mm. And so I've just found that particularly in the church community that, you know, it's either professionals do it, you know, it's so complicated, I can't do it, or I've got to be this upfront teacher. And we miss, in fact, I mean, we miss the New Testament emphasis that this is a relational investment in people's lives done in intentional ways. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's very helpful. You know, our podcast is called Making Disciples Naturally, and that's one of my visions for it is to is to uh, help people understand that it is possible for everyone to do that and that the Great Commission is not just given to the, quote, professional Christian, but uh, we can all have a part in that, thankfully. Um, before we get into talking about your book, I wanted to ask you uh, kind of some more heart questions of what, what excites you about making disciples? Yeah, good question. I, you know, I was initially attracted to disciple-making when I was a, uh, a college sophomore and junior, because I was an idealist. I wanted to change the world. That's why I got involved in the peace movement, social justice issues. And I began to see that, you know, this good news about Jesus and helping people walk with him really could change people's lives. And that the sense of what the kingdom is really can, as we bring kingdom values into our settings, that it can change 
the immediate little cultures that we find ourselves in, little cultures in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. And so that was the immediate thing that kind of really caught my attention, my sense of, of an idealist and an activist, that um, I, I saw that, hey, here's a way that uh, a God-given way to channel my energy and my commitment. I think over the years, probably one of the things that brings me the most joy is, is when people kind of get it, you know, they, that you begin to see God change people's lives. And you realize that it's not the basis of your clever techniques and your motivational speeches, but it's something that the Spirit of God is doing. And and you and I get to be the channel for that, you know, that that we're kind of like God's hands that he energizes and he brings about change in people's lives. And I, and I just think, you know, that that's just such a privilege because, you know, it's nothing that I can do, I would say after 45 years with the Navigators, I've concluded I just can't change people's lives. <laughs> I've really tried, and uh, but I can't, but God can, and he wants to use people like you and me to do that, and I think, what a privilege that is, and to be able to look back on life and to think, boy, here's men and women that God's used me in and who are walking for him and doing things that I could never do or I would never be able to do, but uh, because I spent a little time investing in their life, you know, it releases them to do, uh, just to do some really exciting things with God. Mm. And I would say those are, yeah, those are some of the things that just motivates me for, yeah, yeah why I want to be involved in making disciples. That's great. You mentioned in your book that um, you asked God for something to occur every year in your life. Can you oh, yeah. relate a little bit about that and how, how he has fulfilled that? Yeah. Just to tell the story, I was out of college and um, I read this book called um, Hudson and Maria. And uh, Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission back around 1880 or so. And, um, uh, and, 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 and he was one of the he was the first missionary to venture outside of the missionary compound to figure out how do I contextualize the gospel message? Because prior to that, the missionaries were Victorian men and women who lived in a Victorian English village who dressed like Victorian people, and they would take these little excursions out to Chinese villages and preach and then they'd come back to their Victorian little village dressed in Victorian ways. <laughs> and uh, Taylor realized, hey, if we're going to make an impact, we got to get out and live among people. So he adopted Chinese dress. In fact, he even chose what would, grew what was in the, the Chinese pigtail. And, uh, and figured out, I've, I've got to communicate the gospel in that context. And so, and he realized that China's a big country. It wasn't as big as it is today, but it was a big country. And so I think there was 18 political provinces in China. And so Trotman began, I'm not Trotman, but uh, Taylor, Hudson Taylor began praying that he'd have one man in each of those 18 provinces. And that just struck me as I was reading that story about him and thinking about, well, Lord, you know, could you give me one person a year that I could disciple? And uh, and so I said, well, Lord, I'd like to every year trust you for one person a year. And now I have to admit, to be honest, I would like to say every year that that's happened the last 45 years. But it hasn't. I got sidetracked for a while in my ministry and uh, kind of got away from making disciples and and uh, but kind of came back to it. But I would say for the most part over the years that God's given me kind of one person uh, to invest my life in, somebody new. Hmm. 
that I could invest my life in. Mm. And I've thought, you know, that's just kind of a realistic goal, I think, for most of us that, hey, just one person a year in over 45 years, that's a lot of people. And then the influence that those men and women have that grows beyond who we are. And so that was my little faith goal that I had. And I would say for most of the years that God has really done that. Hmm. I think that may be surprising for people to hear that because they think, particularly here, you're a navigator and you, um, you see churches in front of you, you see small groups, you see a whole bunch of people that, quote, should be discipled, <laughs> should be growing in their faith, and you feel some responsibility for making all of this happen, but yet you've chosen to to start small. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you can see through that, those little things, big things happening? Yeah. Well, I, uh, let me give you one example. Um, and, um, uh, just because it's, it's, it relates both my past and my present ministry. Uh, when I was, you know, in campus ministry, I met a young man, let's, let's call him Charlie. And, um, Charlie was a music major and, and just he was a thoughtful guy, kind of a quiet guy, and um, uh, but had a great heart for God and wanted to grow and was a faithful fella. And, and after he graduated, I kind of lost track of him. And so about 30 years later, I'm in a church, and, and we had periodically, Charlie and I, had gotten in touch with one another, and, and um, so, um, but didn't have a whole lot of lengthy conversations together, but I found myself in this church in this training session and one of the breaks talking to a woman there and I forget how the conversation came up, but she said, you know, my daughter was helped by a music teacher who'd been involved with the navigators. I said, really, what's his name? And so she told me his name and sure enough, it's Charlie, 30 years later, he's in a public school. Wow. He had been helping students for years. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it's a sanctioned time. He did a you know, mm-hmm. all those things he was sensitive to, sure. you know, the church state stuff. And over here, he had been making disciples all these years wow. with uh, taking people, um, since it's, you kind of got a navigator audience here. He took people through the old navigators, what was called the design for discipleship. So that's what he had gone through mm-hmm. in college. So 30 years later, and then about a month later, I find him written up in the local newspaper for winning some awards for outstanding uh, band director. And so, you know, that's just a little example of investing in one person's life and uh, and you don't know what happens to them. And then you discover, you know, kind of this faith serendipitous experience. God brings them back into your life and you see the impact they're having and Mm. something I never would have pictured or imagined. But here that's happening with one person. And I and I and by the way, this idea of investing in one person, uh, you know, there's I look at it as. My ministry with the navigators is that, you know, I teach and train people in disciple making, but I always want to make sure that I'm involved. I am personally helping somebody disciple somebody just as I would expect the people that I'm training in churches to do. Hmm. And so that's what I'm working at. So right now I'm involved with a, uh, you know, two younger men that uh, one is in middle management um, at a major institution. The other is a public school teacher. And so just trying to help these guys, you know, figure out how do I live for Christ and advance the gospel and influence others. And and on top of what I do in terms of coaching and teaching and training in church contexts. That's great. That's great. The amazing results of investing in just one person and seeing the world through that person as they go on to multiply results. 
It's exciting to see how God changes people's lives, both our own and the people that we love and work with. You know, we can't change people's lives, but God can. Remember Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is so exciting to see how He works through His Word and the Holy Spirit to change not only my own life, but also the lives of the people we love. Join me next time as we hear Bill tell us about how he selects folks to come alongside of and encourage in their spiritual walk. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.